Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am super excited to have Catherine Brewer on the program. Catherine is a mentor, speaker, and author who works with coaches, therapists, teachers, and other conscious leaders on the evolutionary path to catapult their influence, effectiveness, and satisfaction in work and life. She combines decades of experience as a marriage and family therapist and school psychologist with cutting-edge training and a lifelong connection to intuitive knowing. Due to her personal story, growing up as a highly gifted and psychic child who struggled to fit in, Catherine is especially passionate about working with mentors of children and youth to help them navigate the unique challenges and gifts of our newest generation. Welcome to the program, Catherine. Thank you, Marla. It's so great to have you and to let the listeners know, Catherine and I kind of met or found out about through um, PMH Atwater. And um, when you listen to this interview, you may also want to go back and listen to PMH's interview on July 22nd, where she talked about these new kids coming in, this new generation, and um, because they really are relatable and have a lot to do with a lot to do with each other. So I'm, I'm really excited about this topic. So let's, let's just jump right in. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about your journey? Okay. I would love to, because it's, it is what it informs what I do now. <laughs> and right, absolutely. So I was born in a tiny, tiny town in the middle of the Western Kansas wheat fields. At home, country doctor, very, very difficult birth, more than 24 hours. And that'll be important in a minute. (laughs) Uh, And the community and my parents were very, very, very conservative. And I appeared very quickly to not be a usual child. Uh, I began speaking words like pretty and other words like that at nine months. And I said multiple word sentences at at a year. Um, I communicated with animals. I tried to intervene for them and, you know, nobody would listen to me and which was heartbreaking. And I, I could see the future. I remembered living in a an environment where everything was love and i would see how people what they would say to one another what they would do and i knew how it was going to turn out and i i was bewildered i could not understand how they possibly could say and do those things 
when they knew how it was going to turn out and it wasn't going to be love. <laughs> um, and I was, am a cellular empath, which means that I feel in my body the same response and the same thing that's going on in the other person's physical and emotional state. And it took me many years to figure out that that's what was happening. So my, my parents, grandparents had no idea what to do with me. And the only thing that they understood was guilt and punishment to try to get me to conform to what, what was expected for children in, in little tiny town, Kansas in the forties and fifties. <laughs> so, um, at age nine, it became significantly uncomfortable enough that I just said to whoever, whatever, shut this off. I can't do this. Shut this off. And <clears throat> I was fairly successful with everything except the, the cellular empathy that that continued, but everything else really, really diminished. I no longer did cosmic travels at night. I, I rarely saw the future. Animals didn't talk to me anymore. That, and I became um, what everybody else wanted me to be because I sensed and I knew what they wanted me to be. I and so I became what anybody else wanted me to be which helped me be, helped me be safer actually, and helped me uh, be more successful in school. I knew exactly what the teachers wanted. So big fast forward to when I'm 33 and I'm in an emergency room and they're shooting adrenaline in my heart. And I realize I wake up that if I, do not allow myself to be who I am. I will leave the planet. So that I began reclaiming and actually expanding my gifts. So that that's part of why, or maybe the whole reason why, I am so passionate about today's kids because they have so many of the same capacities and, ex and expanded beyond what I had. And there are many, many, many parents today are so much more awake and enlightened that many of these children are getting exactly what they need. Many are not. And so, um, and, and many parents, teachers who are committed to giving children what it is they need aren't sure what to do. Right. And I'm not sure what to do in many instances because this is all new energy. We are creating the solutions, but there's some basic ways we can look at things that help us create the solutions. Wow. What an amazing bat. So you were never validated or well, even worse, you were punished for, did you sometimes as a child feel like 
something was wrong with you? Oh, absolutely. Oh. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I understand in retrospect, I understand, um, I understand a lot of the motivation. Right. right. Uh, for instance, I don't, well, I do know why. Uh, they gave me an IQ test when I was six and it was off the charts. And I didn't know that. And no one ever told you that. No, I didn't find that out till I was an adult. Um, so they, I know now that my mother's perspective was that I, I should not have a big head. <laughs> I should, you know. So I heard frequently, frequently, you are no better than anybody else, which to a child in duality, if you're not better, you're worse. Yes, yes. So, so I spent a lot of energy just trying to be okay. Wow, what a, what a beautiful resource you are to the world. You know, isn't it interesting how many times, well, the worst things create the opportunities to be the best of us as painful as it is, yeah. you know? Yes. So I, I love, I love when you use, use the words, I think it was in your website, that you help navigate the unique challenges and gifts of our newest generation. And actually that was in your bio. And so what, what do you find these unique challenges and gifts are that these children are coming in with? Well, first I wanna say thank you for bringing up, yes, our greatest assets also are our greatest liabilities and the other way around. <laughs> yeah. um, the, I have a checklist of 43 items of the characteristics. And one that I think is really important is that children now, many, many children now are learning holographically. And what that means is, you know, in a, in a hologram, the image, every tiny, tiny little part of the image contains the whole. So in holographic learning, when you apply that to learning, when children get, mm, let's say that you have a lesson planned and it's six lessons, a whole new concept, and they get through lesson one and lesson two, they have enough. They know the rest. They don't need the rest of the lessons. They don't need homework. They don't need practice. And they get turned off about learning if that's expected of them. So, and one example is there was a um, six-year-old in a Montessori school and one day was taught how to use the abacus to add. The next day with not one second of instruction, he was using it to subtract because he got in one lesson, the whole hologram, the whole gestalt of the abacus. And then, okay, so if I can do this, I can do this, I can. And I learned that way. I didn't know what it was. I, I called it that I got a gestalt and then I extrapolated. Interesting. So, and have, many times I felt like a fraud because I didn't finish programs or lessons. And 
you know, I tested out or whatever was needed, but I hadn't finished them. And so I, many times in the past, I didn't understand this and I felt like a fraud. Um, wow. And it's kind of like the educational system. What do teachers do with that? And then, you know, you get in trouble for not finishing, but you already understand all of it. So what you're saying, what I hear you saying is that these children are coming into this world with this ability to to learn holographically. Yeah. Yes. So can you, when you meet a child and you do assessments, can you find out if that is one of the, one of the characteristics that they have? That I, I no longer do what uh, assessments, you know, I did thousands of them I do what I call explorations I love it much much better yes uh, yeah and uh, most most children do not like to be labeled um, makes them different so what I I look for clusters of abilities and um I use the checklist that I developed, which a lot of that comes from PMH Atwater <laughs> and my own experience and, and some other people. Um, and then uh, I use human design and sometimes I use other indigenous methods to what I want is a picture of this being and what what they've been, what they've chosen, this is my perspective, what they've chosen to be in the world and to do in the world. And then what are the skills that they've come in with to help them do that? And where do they need some building up? Right. And a, a lot of the kids now, um, they have amazing cognitive abilities. There was a British study that, and that was way back in 2002, and they gathered all of the countries that gave IQ tests to children. They got data results from all the countries that gave IQ tests. And what they found was that one third of the children tested in the gifted range. And in my training to be an educational psychologist, we saw that at the upper ranges as like 1% or less of the population. So it was one third. Interesting. And you know how it's interesting how PMH Water says her research showed also that even though it was so high the children that are showing that scoring so genius level on these IQ tests Mm -hmm. they may still be doing not well in school or they and it all makes sense the holographic reading and not doing their studies but understanding all of it and actually being very very bright I mean it just it, it makes and you know it makes just as a bit of a segue look at all the like really famous mathematicians and artists for example, musicians that didn't do well in school. And a lot of it was because they were just so brilliant. You know, they couldn't go down that narrow path. So Catherine, how would a, for the listeners, how would a parent 
recognized like something, why would someone come to you, first of all? And second of all, what, um, what do you suggest to parents to help the ch children navigate this earthly realm, you know, and feel validated and be successful with all the many challenges that it presents? Well, I think the first, there's a couple of basics. Um, everything is energy. And if you start with that premise, mm -hmm. everything is energy. Then whatever behavior is happening with a child, if you go to, okay, what's the energy around this? And, and I've divided kind of up into, okay, what's the outer What's the outer environment? And that's things like the weather, um, even like solar winds and solar flares and the astrology, because these kids have greatly expanded sensory abilities, much, much more sensitive neurological and nervous systems. And they are in touch with subtle energies and subtle awareness that most of us do not have. Mm -hmm. So they're affected. There was a little boy that was having great difficulty in first grade and um, they were thinking of retaining him. And by the afternoon, a lot of times he would be in tears, his head covered up on the table and just not do anything. What I observed was there were many things in the outer environment. They had him seated at a table with two very uh, active <laughs> other kids right. facing a window. And I noticed that if it was a cloudy day, when the sun would go behind the cloud, he would be, he would look up. When the sun would come out from behind the cloud, he would look up. So just that change in illumination you couldn't see the sky. So it wasn't that he, just the change in illumination was impacting him. Yeah. And uh, when kids would walk by the table, he would, I would sometimes see him actually pull back. So his nervous system was so sensitive and he had just a huge heart. Um, I'm going to mention another <laughs> characteristic of, Oh, um, they actually had him diagnosed as, as on the autistic spectrum. No way was he on the autistic spectrum. And I observed he'd go out to play in the playground. And they said one of the reasons was that he would stay by himself under this tree on the playground. He'd go out and in the very, there was a, a, a boy in his class who would be classified uh, who did a lot of bullying behavior. And so this little boy would observe the bullying behavior, go over to intervene and say, this isn't okay. Then everybody would turn on him and he'd go be under the tree. So there is a, an innate sense of fairness and justice and equality that, um, that drives a lot of these kids. Right. And their, their ability 
to touch into subtle awareness and subtle energies, they can sense when an adult's actions and words are not matching their inner energy, what they really believe, who they really are. They sense that. And so if the adult stays unaware, they tend to just tune that adult out and they don't listen to them anymore. Right. And it's because of this expanded sensory awareness. So um, I'm going to do a webinar called um, Boosting Our Children's Resilience. And in that, I will give a lot of specific techniques for intervening at an energy level, going to, going to the body or going to your own energy, using your own energy to intervene in the energy of the child. Right. And um, a lot of times we tell kids to, you know, take deep breaths. And a lot of times kids don't really get what that is, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially the little ones. Yeah. And so it's things like the Ferris wheel breath. So you tell them to imagine a Ferris wheel. And so when the Ferris wheel is going up, that's when they're breathing in. And they get to the top and they can see all over everywhere. And then they can breathe out. I love it. <laughs> that is magical. I mean, everybody gets that. Yes, right. And so it's things like that. Um, and, and play. Play is so important. Um, there, there was some science done that it takes this, they said around 400 repetitions to build, um, to build neurons and synapses in the brain, new ones. And when I was a dancer, they used to say 350 repetitions. <laughs> if you do it in play, it's maybe 20. So to use play, and even sometimes the only play you need is words. Like if you want a child to come in from outside and they don't want to come in from outside, just words like, okay, let's scooter boots. Yes. <laughs> uh, just bring in play and lightness, lightness of energy. My kids went to the Waldorf school and they were big advocates of singing when you, you know, like to sit down or to, you know, time for lunch or whatever it may be. And the kids would just listen, you know, their ears would just perk up when you would, you would sing like that to them. Yes. And rhythm. And rhythm. Yes. Yeah. One of the, um, one of the things in the webinar is uh, uh, ideas about cues and interventions for overstimulation because our kids are getting so overstimulated. Right. Let's talk about that. Yes. Uh, and with kids on computers and iPads and iPhones at such an early age. Yes. Yeah. There's the uh, electromagnetic fields are a huge contributor to children's behavior and and we're all different and the children are different and some of them it really doesn't bother them well 
they are, it's a different way to say it. They are, they have capacities to manage it. They have greater capacity to manage it. But many of these sensitive children, when our nervous systems are overstimulated, we have two choices. We explode or we shut down. Right. And so, and kids will choose, sometimes they'll choose one and sometimes the other. But what uh, often what appears as tantrums are not really tantrums. They are the, uh, the volcano of releasing the pressure of the overstimulated nervous system. What we've been taught to do is the opposite of what they need because you, you want to soothe their nervous systems. So if you talk to them, try to reason with them, that's more stimulation. If you say, look at me, that's more stimulation. The human face is complex. That's more stimulation. If you raise your voice, that's more stimulation. If you, even if we like stroke them like this, that's more stimulation. So the idea is if you touch is good, but it is close. It's on the trunk. It's not on the extremities. And it is a firm, gentle, non-moving touch. And this helps calm their nervous system. And then in, uh, we mentioned rhythm. If you can get them into a rhythm of, that is more in alignment with the earth's rhythm, which is about like one per second. And with, with uh, kids in preschools, we used to do the elephant walk. So they kind of hunch over and they have their, you know, arms down like this is the trunk and they go back and forth for one second. Um, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. So, or rocking in a rocking chair or anything that you can get that one per second that soothes their, their, nervous system. And there's a couple of other things in the webinar that I'll share that also do that. I mean, just to know that as a caregiver or a parent or a teacher, I mean, do you find that, that parents and, and teachers are, that people are going into schools or doing in-services about this? Is this getting out into the world? Not much. Um, there are a few. Uh, I know um, there's a person here in the Bay Area that actually has created a teacher kit using things like yoga poses. Right, and, right. Um, and uh, I just heard I was at the Festival of the Child, which was put on by uh, the Sophia School in, U in the UK. And they... One person talked about instead of time out, it's time in. Yes, yes. And uh, so it's like helping helping the kids understand they're in they also are in charge yeah. of what how they can manage their own energy. 
I think this is a great time to wrap it up, but please join us because Catherine will be back next week to continue our conversation about these new children that are coming into this world. I hope you can join us. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at Interviews with Innocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.